The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm your host, Wanda Wallace. We are starting a series today on what it means to be strategic. Now, the presenting problem for me is that I frequently sit down to talk with executives inside companies where they have gotten the feedback that they are not strategic enough. And typically, this comes from somebody who is working incredibly hard to make sure that the strategic vision of a leader is actually implemented. They're in the go, do, run, execute, make it happen mode, and perhaps doing a good job. So it comes to quite a surprise to this individual that they're not seen as, quote unquote, strategic. The question then always comes to me, what does that mean, being strategic? What do we need to do? So over the next few shows, we're going to take a look at what it means to be strategic from several different points of view. Joining me today is Liam Fahey, my partner in Leadership Forum. Liam has is an incredible author, writer, thinker in the strategic space. He has eight books, over 50 articles and chapters. He's been a faculty at Babson. He's taught at Kellogg School at Northwestern. He's been in the faculty at Boston University, at Cranfield, and a host of other places. And he has consulted with a range of companies from ones like Bosch and Loam, IBM, Johnson and Johnson, 3M, Motorola, DuPont, Pfizer. I could go on and on. Plus, he's a terrific partner. So, Liam, welcome to the show. Nice to be with you, Wanda. Thanks for the invitation. Glad to have you here. Now, Liam, as I've looked at your work over the many years that I have known you, one of the things that I would say is that you specialize in helping companies groups and individuals think strategically. So in your frame and in your world, what does it mean to be strategic? Let, let me start answering that question at a high level. Uh, about 20 years ago, we developed a framework called the Strategic Performance Management Framework. And at the core of that framework is the question, strategic thinking, what is it? How would we know it when we see it? And how can we develop it across our organization over time? There are two words there, strategic and thinking. So within our SPM, Strategic Performance Framework Management Framework, the core is all about strategy. And by strategy here, we mean the following. Can we put an offer in the marketplace 
that will attract, win, and retain customers over time. Over time is very important. And with an ability to compete in the marketplace that will allow us to outmaneuver and outperform our, com- our competitors. So the focus on thinking is about what kind of offer can we bring to the marketplace to attract what kinds of customers and how can we put a value proposition together that will outwit and outperform our rivals and do it in a way that we create a customer experience that is not rivaled by any other competitor that's in the market. That's the core framing of this thinking side of the strategic performance management framework. All right, so we asked the question then, what offer can we make as a company to what customers at what value proposition in a way that is unrivaled by our competitors and that generates a great customer experience? Okay, now if I'm not sitting in the marketing function or in the product development function, how do I participate in that kind of process? Well, the whole intent of strategic thinking is to have everybody at the senior levels and middle levels in every function in the organization be involved in dialogue and in contributing to answering the set of questions that I posed. So if I am in human resources, my big question is how do we manage human resources in all its aspects so that we help those in the company who are building and delivering offers to customers who are out there in the marketplace competing against rivals and are working hard over time to build a customer experience that they can't get from any other rival. So that means in this case that human resources has to have an external focus and has to be asking questions about how do we in human resources contribute to every aspect of that strategic thinking that I outlined earlier. We could go through all of the functions and see the same kind of questions. All right, so an external focus and an understanding of how I'm individually and within my function contributing to that overall equation of what do we offer to what customers at what value in a way that's not rivaled by our competitors and that gives a great customer experience. Yes, and one of the ways that we often operationalize that is have a senior person in each functional area stand in front of his or her peers and in 90 seconds to two minutes flat, tell those folks how we in our functional area, how we in legal or finance or accounting or risk management or marketing or whatever, how we contribute to strategic thinking and execution and how we inhibit it. And both are very important because each function will be doing certain kinds of things that are part of their practice for many years that actually get in the way of building, developing, and delivering superior offers, but they don't recognize that it's happening. So give, can you give me an example, obviously without naming and shaming any particular company? A beautiful example that came up uh, in November, December of last year, one very well-known company in the chemical business uh, spent 27 to $30 million dollars developing an offer to take to the marketplace. They then put through a budget for $375,000 to 
to fund an, an intriguing and novel go-to-market strategy, and it was turned down by the finance function. The consequence was that when the product was launched without the appropriate launch strategy, competitors saw what they were doing and quickly tried to get word out to the channels that this product was not as good as promised, that it would not deliver the functionality promised to customers, and that some of the key customer accounts were then approached and told that this product had problems. The result, of course, was that over six months, the company basically launched this product for its rivals, all because the finance function didn't understand how $375,000 was critical and essential to the product launch. And we worked through the cash flow consequences of that non-investment. They were simply extraordinary and unbelievably embarrassing. I can imagine 30, 27 million investment that yeah. leads to a shortfall of 375,000. So now is that the fault of marketing or the fault of finance? Meaning marketing didn't do a good job in presenting their argument or finance didn't understand it in the total picture. Let, let me attack that by taking another example. Uh, this is also out of last year. Um, a company had developed a contract with a big, big customer uh, for multiple millions of dollars, and the contract was signed by the customer, came back to the company, and the legal department, without telling anybody else, uh, said that this was not a valid contract because one or two of the conditions were not acceptable to the company. Now, the legal folks had gone through that contract earlier and had essentially approved it, but they never bothered to tell anybody else in the company so that when the CEO called the customer group to talk about the execution of the contract, he was summarily told there was not a contract. Mm. Not a nice position for the CEO to be involved in. I use that example to answer your question. In both cases, what had occurred was that the functional areas were thinking operationally and tactically, were thinking through the practices that they had long established and that were acceptable to them and to the company, but they did not think in the broader context in terms of over the longer term, what does this mean for us in our relationship with these customers and this marketplace and these channels? and made these decisions from an internal functional point of view, not from a marketplace-organization point of view. All right. So I get the point of the real cost to companies, both in reputation as well as in dollar value, of not having functions, and we could go into various business components as well, to understand what the offer is, what the customers are, what the value proposition is, what the competitive position is. And so your point is to ask people to be able to say in two minutes, how do we contribute to the strategic offer customer's value proposition and how do we inhibit it? Correct. And I'd I'd even take that one step further in, in the work that we do. If we're really thinking strategically, then the folks who are involved in strategy work, I mean that 
quite generally, strategy work, ought to be able to stand in front of any subgroup inside the company and articulate what the strategy is, articulate the assumptions underpinning that strategy, articulate the change in the environment that they're trying to leverage and exploit, and in a couple of sentences be able to articulate the goal of the strategy in the marketplace and financially. Most companies do not meet that test. Okay. So that means that people involved in strategy work, wherever they sit within the company, need to be better at articulating what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. And presumably, Liam, in simple terms, not in complex multi-page charts with massive numbers. And preferably without a PowerPoint. (laughs) That would be an interesting day, preferably without a PowerPoint. Actually, when we do this, we ask people to turn the PowerPoint off and just simply articulate it. And if they have PowerPoints, we ask them to hit the send button and send them around. But the challenge is to have the person stand in front of his or her peers and literally two minutes flat articulate what the strategy is, what its intent is, and what the return from it should be or ought to be or will be. So when you put senior executives on the spot this way, do they eventually get it? I mean, how long does it take them to understand how to articulate in two minutes what we're trying to do and how we're inhibiting that progress? Well, when when you sit down and you talk with people across the dinner table or you talk with them informally in the office, they are generally very well able to do it. Put them in front of an audience with a PowerPoint and all of the formalities and and rigidities that go with that kind of position, uh, what they so nicely articulated in the privacy of their office suddenly gets lost because now they're back to the verbiage that's on the screen. They're back to the language and nuances of strategy and what they ought to be able to do in five minutes to make sure it takes an hour. All right. So if I just summarize this, Um, You have the notion that uh, strategic performance management, strategic thinking, is really about understanding what offer we make to what customers, at what value proposition, and in what way that is not going to be rivaled by our competitors and with what customer experience. And that every functional area, every person within the organization should be able to say in a two-minute sentence, normal language, no PowerPoints, how do I contribute to the strategy and how do I inhibit it? And that it's a matter of changing our practices of using PowerPoint and just talking back in more common sense. All right, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, Liam, I want to talk about, so how do I develop the skill if I don't think I have it already? So suppose my leader hasn't been great at articulating this. How can I go about and develop my own strategic thinking? We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book, 
or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm your host, Wanda Wallace. With me today is Liam Fahey, who's one of my favorite writers and thinkers about strategic thinking, with over eight books and 50 chapters, and consulting with a ton of companies around the strategic thinking. We've just been talking about Liam's framework for strategic thinking, which he calls strategic performance management. And the notion is that we should be able to articulate, everyone in the company should be able to articulate what's the offer that we're putting in the marketplace to which customers, at what value proposition, and in what way are we rivaling our competitors and generating a superior customer experience. And the notion is that everyone should be able to articulate that in under two minutes without a PowerPoint. So, Liam, sounds fabulous. We see from the last segment the dangers of not being able to do that and not understanding the decisions that are made in various parts of the business without that common framework of the strategic perspective. But suppose I'm sitting with you in the organization and my particular manager is not terribly skilled at articulating the strategy and I want to become better at articulating the strategy. How can I do that? How can I get better at being strategic? Great question, and this is one of the core issues that always emerges in execution of the strategic performance management framework with my colleagues Raj Shrivastava and Tassu Shirvani. Uh, let me start at one point that we happen to think is critical to any individual becoming more strategic and genuinely practicing the thinking side of strategic. It has to do with perspective. 
and perspective has to do with asking yourself a very simple question. Am I analyzing from the marketplace perspective? Because most people, most of the time, because of the strictures and rhythms of organizations, tend to analyze from an internal perspective. So we're analyzing cost structures. We're analyzing product development. We're analyzing supply chain issues. And we're analyzing human resource costs. And what gets lost in all of that is we're not stepping outside and looking backwards into the organization. So we're not asking ourselves fundamental questions about the marketplace. For example, who are really my competitors across individual customers? What kinds of strategies are they developing that I'm going to have to face? What kinds of technology discontinuities are emerging that's going to reconfigure our entire marketplace? Those kinds of questions are from the perspective of change in the marketplace and not from the perspective of what's happening inside the organization. Obviously, you want both, but if we're going to be genuine strategic thinkers, the emphasis and indeed the beginning point has to be on the external marketplace. Okay, so uh, so let's stay with human resources. You gave that example. Suppose I'm a human resources professional. I don't interface with the customers, the marketplace. I don't really have much data. I might know what my competitors are doing in HR. How do I get a better marketplace perspective? Um, this actually takes me to the second item uh, to answer the question, how do I become more skilled in being strategic? And that's the whole question of focus. So if I'm in human resources, am I really focused on how competitors are managing and developing their human resources and how it's contributing to the strategy that they have in terms of the offers they're creating, the customers are going after, and how they're competing? Am I really asking whether or not individual competitors have a human resource advantage or disadvantage compared to us? Am I really focusing on what kinds of constraints and limitations are within human resources compared to competitors? So it's not a terribly different set of questions than you would find in other functional areas, but they're the kinds of questions that have to be addressed if we genuinely want to become more strategic in our thinking, meaning contributing to the overall strategy of the enterprise. So, and presumably this applies to everyone, that in legal I need to also be asking how are our competitors approaching this problem and thinking and preparing in ways that we're not preparing. Frequently people say to me, though, I don't know how to know what our competitors are doing. What's your advice on how do we know what's happening? Um, Two parts to this this question. Um, You can only think about competitors from a customer point of view. Because at a very general but critical level, your competitors are those entities that customers look at when they think about buying from you, when they evaluate your product or offer or solution. And as they're working with you, having bought the product from you, they'll be looking at others to see if this is as good as what they have in the market. So point number one, uh, who your competitors are is determined only by your customers. And so the internal focus that all companies have, where we look at our competitors in terms of our products and who competes with the same kinds of products, the same kinds of cars, or the same kinds of technical solutions, it's internally determined, not externally determined. And the second part of your question has to do with 
change over time. Your competitors two, three, four years ago may be very different than your competitors three or four or five years out. So the question that each functional area has to ask itself, and this is where your competitor and industry analysis people can be very helpful, given where our organization is going, who are we likely to be confronting in the marketplace across channels and across end users and customers in the future, and what does that mean back to what I do in my function? So it's legitimate, or is it legitimate also to say not just competitors for our product and our offers, but competitors for our talent? Um, Actually, we would even elaborate that it's competitors for every asset and capability that you have. Wow. So who are your competitors in terms of brand? Who are your competitors in terms of your talent, your people? Who are the real competitors for some of your core competencies? Uh, Who are the competitors for the R&D work that you do? And in R&D, your competitors can be very different than the competitors for your products at the other end because those competitors may be competing for the talent that you want in R&D. They may be competing for the government research funds that you're going after. And they might be competing with the alliance partners competing for the alliance partners that you're trying to create. So who your competitors are depends very much on the asset or capability that we're talking about. Okay. So this means that as I'm sitting, wherever I'm sitting within the organization, I'm looking at the assets that I have that contribute to the overall value in the marketplace, for example, and I'm trying to ask who are my competitors for that asset and how are those competitors winning, beating, thinking, planning, preparing, what are they going to introduce that makes it harder for us to compete? Is that reasonable? That's reasonable. And I would add in one other thing. Once you have done that from a thinking point of view, then the question becomes what kinds of action plans might we want to think about and put in place and execute if we were to outperform and outmaneuver those competitors, whomever we decide that they are? Okay, so it's not just having identified the competitors, it's understanding the implications of those competitors for what I'm doing and how we change to outperform and outmaneuver. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and where you find yourself going with your action plans could be very, very different than what you were doing in your function uh, two years ago, three years ago, five years ago. Okay. We certainly see that in terms of function and regulatory pressures, but I don't know very many clients who are talking about it in terms of competitive pressures, which makes for um, an interesting change. Yeah, but, but, but some organizations who actually are much more strategic than their rivals in the marketplace, this is exactly what they do and this is exactly what they think about because they know that the competitive space that they will be competing in three or five or six years from now is going to be radically different on what it was five years ago. If you look at the pharma industry, for example, and you look at the competitors that are now in the marketplace around all kinds of drugs and new drugs coming on the marketplace, and you go back into the biotech, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the nature of that marketplace is so fundamentally different five years out than what it is today and hardly recognizable from what it was five or ten years ago. 
Yeah, I see that point. I remember um, in pharmaceutical industries at one point in time not even looking at the nutraceuticals, the -the over-the-counter items, and those are now increasingly becoming competitors to some common drugs as an example. Yeah, if you look look at the configuration of a car, an automobile, uh, four to eight years from now, it will look nothing like what it was four to eight years ago in terms of the components, the technologies, how they're put together, et cetera, et cetera. It's literally a completely different world. Okay. All right, so we're going to take a break. If I sort of summarize the segment here, it means if I'm sitting inside an organization in any area and at any level, there are really several things I need to do to develop my strategic capability. Number one is to change my perspective, not just analyze from the internal, but to analyze from the external, and that means from a customer point of view. And I am looking at who my competitors are for whatever asset I am responsible for contributing to the marketplace proposition, who's my competitor for that asset, whether it's talent, brand, any component, who's my competitor and what are those competitors doing that's going to um, affect our ability to outperform and outmaneuver, recognizing that who competitors are today may not be who they are in three to five years. All right, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about how to do a deeper dive on competitors um, and get some tactics, Liam, from your experience, the kind of questions we need to ask to get better insight about our competitors. And we'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm your host, Wanda Wallace. With me today is Liam Fahey. Liam is one of my favorite writers and thinkers about how to think strategically. We have just been talking about Liam's framework for strategic thinking, which involves understanding the value proposition that you're making to the marketplace, for what customers, and in what ways that beat your competitors. And Liam was just talking about the need for everyone in the company to understand the outside perspective and to take a very intensive competitor analysis for whatever you're doing, who are the competitors for what you're doing, and what are they doing, how is that going to affect me, and how are they changing. So Liam, if we take this notion of competitors and getting smart about our competitors, whether we're in human resources and it's the competitors for our talent, or we're in finance and it's competitors for our analyst. How do we begin to think about the competitive intelligence in a smarter way? What kind of questions should we be even asking? Okay. So when we look at intelligence, the basic issue we're addressing is very simple, the state. How do we understand change in our competitive context and what are its business implications? So from an intelligence point of view, it's not about describing what our competitors are doing or what customers are doing or what technology is doing. It's very much about understanding the forces shaping that change and what are its business implications. And core to this is asking the question that we talked about earlier, who are our competitors and what might we learn from them? So two quick examples. In one piece of work two years ago, the biggest piece of learning we had was from a competitor that had less than one-half of 1% of the North American marketplace, that is Canada and the U.S. for purposes of definition. And the reason this competitor became so insightful is that they were a small regional player, but they'd put together a value proposition for their customers and delivered it in a way that was entirely unique compared to anybody else in the business. And it was out of that assessment that we discerned that this was the direction that this marketplace was likely to go and that our strategy were that to take place would be a guaranteed loser. And this was sourced by one of our salespeople who came back and said to us, we need to take a look at this little competitor in this area that was doing amazing things in terms of customer response. So it's all about looking at which competitors, what will you learn from them, and how is it useful to you in terms of business implications. So this means you really want lots of people with competitive intelligence feeding this in so that your strategic insight is stronger and stronger. Uh, Yes, but be careful, because the typical tendency in the modern corporation which has a lot of MBA graduates running around with a lot of IT IT people 
who are looking for something useful to do, the first um, uh, temptation is to build massive databases, get them under control technically, so now we've got portals all over the place, and now we've got a lot of data that is accessible by a lot of people. Um, I've yet to see one single example where that led to useful and highly valuable insight into our competitors and insight into change in the marketplace. Because again, the focus is all internal. It is not on competitors. It is not on change in the marketplace. So specifically in regard to your question, a small group of people who are pulling data from many different sources but who think it through in terms of what competitors are likely to be doing with their strategy is going to give you much higher quality insight into competitors and change around competitors in the marketplace than a whole slew of people who are data hounds and interested only in building technology-based databases. So this isn't about a technological solution or a big data solution. This is about insight that is externally driven, not internally driven. And the highest quality insights that I've seen over the last five years actually come from groups of individuals who develop what we now call invented competitors. They're not even a competitor in the marketplace. And what we ask the teams to do is the following. Invent a competitor with an invented strategy that could plausibly be in our market space in the next two, three, four, or five years, depending on the industry and technology, and that if that competitor were to come into the market with its offer and its value proposition, that they would destroy and decimate every competitor in there. So what we ask them to do is to think very strategically about change in the marketplace, invent the competitor, defend how that competitor would come to be, defend what its strategy would be, and then play it out against existing competitors. Almost every time we do that piece of competitor analysis, new marketplace opportunities and new competitive and marketplace risks appear that hadn't received attention previously. I can imagine. I can also imagine it's pretty difficult to get people to think through invented competitors, or is that not so hard to do? It's actually not so hard to do, Once people know two things, one, they're going to have to make this presentation to senior people in the company at the end of the second day or perhaps next week. And two, once they get into the rhythm of it, they see that it's a lot of fun, but then they see how valuable it would be. And we've had two competitors who basically threw out their current strat plans because they realized they were so vulnerable to the emergence of convergence in technologies and started all over again with the opportunity that was not even addressed in the strat plan. All right, so there's a bit of fun to be had and huge insight to be gained in inventing competitors and then understanding the implications of that. What kind of questions, if we go back to analyzing our regular competitors, what kind of questions should we ask to understand competitors? Can you give us five or six key questions to be thinking about? Uh, The first question that's always on our list is the following. Given that you have a competitor, what strategic moves might that competitor make over some relevant time period? So are they likely to introduce new products? 
Are they likely to do alliances? Are they likely to, to divest? Um, and what's the rationale for your assertion that this is what they might do? Okay. Uh, second All question. Right. Yep. Second question. If they were to do that, what are the implications for the marketplace and what are the implications for us? Okay. Because a significant strategic change by a competitor is going to change the whole competitive context. So, for example, if one of the competitors launches a genuinely innovative product that brings new functional value to customers, they have the potential to turn the marketplace upside down. And we always emphasize implications at the marketplace level before implications for ourselves. Okay. Okay. The third question that we always insist on is the following. As you're looking at competitors making changes over time, what assumptions might we may need to make about that marketplace going forward? And how do those assumptions compare in contrast to those that we're making right now? And that usually causes people to reflect on the fact that they haven't been very careful in identifying their assumptions, much less assessing them. There'll be okay. something in the, in the strat plan about assumptions, but it's not terribly critically done. Okay. So there are three big questions that are always at the top of our list when we're looking at competitors. And then the fourth question that we always get to at some stage is, uh, given those projected changes, what are the three or four or five things that our company, our business needs to do pretty quickly if we want to be or want to continue to be a winner in this market space? So again, we come back to this notion of taking a hard look at who your competitors are, recognizing that the competitor for the asset you manage in the company may be quite different than the asset for somebody else in the company. So who can take that capability away from you or beat you on that one? And then taking a bit of a deep dive and understanding what that competitor is likely to do and why, what that does for the marketplace first and for us second, um, what assumptions that implies now and in the future about the marketplace and what that means we need to do now. And to answer those four questions, you would have to be thinking quite strategically. Yes, and I would emphasize that when we look at competitors, we're always 100% focused on what does that mean for current, emerging, and future customers. Okay. Because competitor change always involves customer change. So we want to pick up trends in customer behaviors, trends in customer buying patterns, trends in changes in customers' assumptions uh, as part of doing the competitor analysis work. Okay. So it's that focus then on the marketplace that gets you to recognize the customers aren't, I mean, the competitors aren't acting in a vacuum. There's something happening in the marketplace that we need to be capturing as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Liam nicely said, I love this notion of wherever I sit in the organization, I control some asset or am contributing to some asset that lets my company win in the marketplace. Being aware of that asset and how I manage it, how I contribute it to the value, to the customer experience, et cetera, with that asset, regardless whether that's HR, finance, legal, sales, anything, I need to be aware of it and I need to be aware of who the competitors are for my assets. 
I think it's a great analysis and a wonderful series of questions to ask about how that evolves on time. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to ask Liam about why corporate strategy seems to be so uninspiring to so many people. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace, your host. With me today is Liam Fahey. Liam is one of my favorite writers and thinkers about what it means to think and act strategically. And we've been talking about Liam's perspective on how to be strategic. If I summarize it, to be strategic or to think strategically is to understand what offer you're making in the marketplace to what customers with um, what value proposition and in what way that competes against your competitors and gives your customers a great experience. That everybody within the organization should understand the components that they have that contribute to that proposition in the marketplace, to think from an external point of view, not from just the internal point of view, and to be able to analyze the competitors you have for the assets that you control, the things that you contribute to that proposition, and that it's applicable to everybody at every level within every function. So, Liam, I have to ask the hard question. When I sit down with clients, um, with people that I'm coaching or with people that I'm working in training courses with, they often express enormous frustration that the corporate strategy isn't existent. We just say we don't have a corporate strategy. When I go and talk to people in the corporate office, they will indeed roll out some strategic plan. 
Why is it that you think, why do you think that the average person in the organization feels there isn't an adequate strategy? Or maybe I should say that the corporate strategy is so uninspiring. What's your view on that? If I think back over all the various companies I've worked in in the last 30 years, uh, you're right. A a very common attribute of these companies is that most people are not aware that they even have a corporate strategy beyond the fact that they're trying to enhance or maximize shareholder value. But if you ask them, what's the strategy in terms of building competencies across the business, or what's the strategy in terms of building synergies across products, or what's the strategy in terms of building independent SBU, strategic business units, or what's the strategy in terms of going global or becoming more global, Uh, you get very faint and sometimes nasty stares. And I think that's for two reasons. One, corporate people do not articulate and explain what the corporate strategy is in terms of the businesses they're in or want to be in. So there's very often not a simple theme that they can articulate that explains why we're investing in certain product areas or certain technologies or certain business units, uh, pulling back from others, divesting in some. It all seems to be rather haphazard when you're looking up at the corporate end. And the second factor beyond the shareholder value one that I mentioned that seems to be so pervasive is that different people in the, at the corporate level tend to give different answers depending upon where they're sitting. So the corporate marketing officer, the CMO, may give you one answer about building brands that are independent or shared or a house of brands or whatever. And the person in finance will talk gloriously about enhancing shareholder value. And somebody over in manufacturing will talk about what they're doing to build global supply chains. But the connection never really gets made into a clear, simple, elegantly stated corporate, emphasize corporate strategy. Okay, and so do you think we do a better job when we look at the business unit level? Absolutely. At the business unit level, you tend to get reasonably clear definitions of why we're in business, uh, what it is we're trying to do in the marketplace, the goals we're trying to pursue, even though increasingly they tend to be financially dominated and less marketplace dominated. The other side of this that you hinted at in your first question is at the corporate end, it's not nearly as much fun as it is at the business unit end where you're actually out in the marketplace and doing it. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of people who want to be activists in terms of their leadership and managerial roles find much more comfort and much more space at the business unit end than they do at the corporate end. Yeah, I hear that a lot of times, um, particularly from people in the headquarters office who are at the very top of the organization, that they had more fun when they were at the marketplace level. A little more freedom to make decisions and make things happen as well. Yeah. I mean, there's another another related aspect of this that I've just actually seen in the last couple of weeks. The, The dialogue that takes place between the corporate folks and the business unit folks when the business unit people come in to present their quote-unquote business unit strategy three to five years and their operating plan usually one to two years, um, there's no real dynamism and 
engaging interchange in the conversation. It's very much a presentation to the corporate personnel, and they ask some questions, and sometimes very pointed questions, but there's not a collaboration between the two as if they're all working in the same business. Mm. So the business unit people have to prove themselves in terms of their performance, and the corporate people very often have to prove themselves in terms of the sharpness of the questions that they raise. But how those two quite come together is often more than a mystery. Yeah. I often hear the stories of that exchange between the corporate and the business unit presentation in terms of strategy is much more a financially driven discussion than it is a real marketplace driven discussion. Yeah. And the one Back that to your I earlier saw, point. Sorry to interrupt. The one that I saw paid almost no attention to the, assumption, the business assumptions that the business unit was making are the assumptions that the corporate group was making. And yet, as an outsider observing, it was very clear there was distinct incompatibility between the two. An interesting, an interesting component. Yeah. All right. So, any advice for people who are either at the business unit level or at the corporate level? I think at, the, at the corporate level, it should be much more of a dialogue and a conversation uh, do the presentation in about 10 to 15 minutes, turn off the projector, and engage in conversation around the intent of the strategy, the strategy elements, the challenges that are being encountered, et cetera, et cetera. Because once it becomes a 55-slide deck that has to be addressed in one hour, the ability to ask penetrating and pursue penetrating questions is lost before you start. Okay, so we're back to the notion of dialogue, a bit of discovery and discussion, and focusing in on insight, insight coming from challenging assumptions, looking at the external perspective, not just the internal perspective, and understanding how we stand in the marketplace, not just from a shareholder value point of view, not to discredit the importance of shareholder value, just not to let it get its wrong place. Yeah, that's where we started this conversation. The, the borrowing into the roots of the performance that the business unit is presenting is the opposite to the need for the strategic thinking where we start this conversation. Great. Liam, thank you. I think the one thing that I take away from this conversation the most is this notion of doing a deep analysis of where I sit inside the company relative to competitors, meaning what assets I'm responsible for and how who's the competitors for those assets, and to use that as a way of increasing my strategic thinking. Lots and lots of insight on how to do that, the kind of questions to ask, but particularly to take that external perspective, not just the internal perspective. Liam, thanks for being here. Much appreciated. Delightful to be with you. All right. Next week, we'll continue in this series, and we're going to talk about a different technique for analyzing where your company is and what it's doing and thinking strategically, and that's called organizational fingerprinting. So we hope you'll join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone, Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.